Good morning again. So I know some of you are brand new this morning, and so we're talking about this, uh, this experience called Immerse Messiah, where we're essentially reading over the entire New Testament in nine weeks. And so many of us, actually over 200, which is very exciting, of us have read the Gospel of Luke um, this past week. Um, and it's not too late. I know Josh wouldn't want me to say this, but you don't have to be in a small group to read with us, all right? We have some extra Bibles. Um, and if you, if this is your first time here, I, I would encourage you to start in week two. We're gonna be starting reading in Acts 2. So we have some of these Bibles still um, in the back. We've had to reorder twice now, but we have a few extra. But if this is your first time, I encourage you, even if you're not in a group, read along with us. It's been such a rich experience for me these last couple of weeks trying to read just a little bit ahead of you all, uh, but such a rich experience, different than I'm normally used to. I'm used to reading very small, smaller sections of scripture, and reading several um, pages has been unique. So, um, the Spirit of God is speaking to different people in different ways through these pages of Scripture, and you really don't want to miss it, all right? Now, my job is to preach the entire Gospel of Luke. So I hope you, yeah, right now, so I hope you don't have any lunch plans, because we're just going to go, no, 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 actually, what my job is, here you go, Calvin, you can, that, my job is, I was just trying to read over, as I read Luke in Immerse, I was just saying, Lord, of this entire gospel, Holy Spirit, what would you like to say to our congregation? What, what, what's that one thing? I was just listening, and, and quite honestly, there's a number of things, of course, that uh, uh, drew my attention. Of course, I've been praying that you all have been if infected with this idea of kingdom, and you've seen kingdom all over the Gospel of Luke. Yes, yes. So there's all these ideas there, but the one that kept coming to me as I was reading the Gospel of Luke is this sense of identity. The sense of identity. That really the entire gospel is about the revealing of the identity of who Jesus is. But not just his identity, but your identity as well and mine. Would you think with me for just a moment about identity and, and what makes, how do we understand who we are? What informs our sense of who we are, who I am? Now, as many of you know, I am from Chicago, the south suburbs of Chicago, and uh, I was back there, that's where I was last week, some, uh, my 30th high school reunion, believe it or not, uh, my nephew's wedding, and some denominational stuff all wrapped into one. And so Sunday, um, I went to church with my stepdad, and then we got what is really, um, I, I'm not biased at all, but the best pizza ever. And, uh, of course, you know, Aurelio's Pizza. So I have Aurelio's Pizza. We get back from the, church, from the church service. I have Aurelio's Pizza. And you know what's on TV? 
The bears were playing. And so I am sitting down and I'm experiencing my favorite pizza and Chicago Bears, Kingdom Theology, Heaven Comes to Earth, right there. And true to form, the Bears were, it was about the worst half of football I've ever seen. I mean, four turnovers by the Bears. It just totally squelched. So, you know, from this pristine moment of pizza and football, and I get back uh, late Sunday night, and I'm telling Kendra about my experience with the Bears, and I say, can you believe it? I had the pizza, I had family, I was there, and they were horrible. And you know, my wife says, she says, Eric, why don't you just give up on the Bears and bec <laughs> become a Broncos fan? I was like, what? How, how, how could you even suggest that? Don't you know the Chicago Sea has been burned upon my soul? This is, this is part of who I am. This is part, and even to complain about how bad the bears are, that's part of my identity in the bears as well. Yes, please pray for me. But the sense of who we are comes in all different places, right? In, in some very mild ways, like sports teams, right? I think God is okay with us having allegiances so it doesn't turn into idolatry. I mean, I think there's only a very few teams that are like kind of evil to root for, like Green Bay Packers. But other than that, generally it's okay. Saw that shirt, Chris. Um, so generally it's okay. But there's other things that really inform our identity far more, don't they? Like what we do. Sometimes that sense of, I'm a teacher, I'm a police officer, um, I'm an engineer. Whatever that is, sometimes, especially for men, but just that's part of being human, that, that sense of what we do. Sometimes it's a hobby, you know? I'm a car enthusiast. I'm whatever that hobby is that, that begins to inform who we are and how we understand ourselves. Oftentimes, relationships inform who we are, right? I, I'm a husband or I'm a wife. I'm a mother or a grandmother. All those things, those relationships inform our sense of identity and who we are. I've been doing a lot of reading and discussion in terms of human sexuality. I hear a lot of identity statements like I am gay or I am straight or I'm a I'm a woman caught in a man's body or a man caught in a woman's body. All these, the sense of identity, all these different ideas fill and shape and form our sense of who we are. And as I was reading the gospel of Luke and, and working through these things, uh, I noticed something that I thought, I've never really quite been able to articulate it this way. 
That not only is the gospel about the unveiling and the revealing and the opening up of who Jesus is. Like they don't know right away. In fact, there's one group of people that know before anyone else does. Do you know who that is? It's not the apostles. It's the demon-possessed folks. They know who Jesus is and nobody else does, right? So it's this unveiling. And the thing that I noticed is that the more people understood who Jesus was, the more they understood who they were. Let me say that again. The more that you and I, I believe it's true today, understand truly who Jesus is, that we begin to grow and shape and our identity is transformed in relationship to Christ, our sense of who we are is transformed into who we are truly meant to be, who we were created to be, our truest sense of who Kim is or who Kevin is or who Ryan is, the truest sense of who Eric is, who we are meant to be, our true sense of identity. See, I think that God is okay with those outskirts of identity, right? Those uh, allegiance to sports teams and, and even those relationships, husbands, wives, what we do, hobbies, all of that. But really what he's after is our center, that center sense of who we are. He's after our hearts in terms of identity. That first and foremost, beyond all things, we would identify ourselves as sons and daughters of the king. We would identify ourselves as followers, as disciples as lovers of Jesus Christ. So let's test my theory a little bit about as we grow and understand who Jesus is, that there's this great sense of who we were created to be. And we're going to just read two quick stories from the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 5. I know if you're using your Immerse books, there's no chapters, so you might want to use other Bibles. And I am using... This 1970s, <laughs> before the New Living Translation was the New Living. This is the old one. This is my, uh, my parents' Bible. In fact, it was given to my dad uh, from his grandparents. I have the inscription there. And uh, it was the only New Living or actually the Living Translation that I had. And I thought, how it would be pretty fun. Isn't that a snazzy cover? It's like a 1970s carpeting on a Bible. That's amazing. Amazing. So the translation's a little bit different, but that's okay. Um, we'll work through that. And I want to read just two stories, first in, in Luke 5 and then in Luke 9. And it's a story that involves Peter, James, and John. And we're going to focus on Peter. And as I read this, would you be mindful of his sense of identity, his sense of who he is. Now, in chapter 5, this is early in the ministry, Jesus had not yet called the apostles. 
He hadn't called them. In fact, they were still, most of them, not all of them, but some of them were fishermen. Peter, James, and John were. And Peter, James, and John had just gotten done fishing early in the morning and they hadn't caught anything. And so they are cleaning their nets and Jesus steps into a boat and he starts preaching to the crowds, okay? Then he finishes up preaching and he's going to suggest, why don't you guys push again out into the water and go fishing one more time? Now remember, they're cleaning their nets after a long night of fishing where they hadn't caught anything. We pick up the story at verse 4, Luke 5, verse 4. When he had finished speaking Jesus, he said to Simon, he and his friends cleaning the nets, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets and you will catch a lot of fish. Sir or master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, we'll try again. Now, from Peter's reaction, I imagine that Peter was this close to saying, now, what were you before a rabbi? Were, were you a fisherman? No, you were a carpenter, weren't you? So, so really, we know what's up and you don't. Like, he's this close to saying that. And then perhaps he, he would have even said, you know, Jesus, do you realize that I'm cleaning the nets and if I dip the nets back in, you know what that means? I have to clean them again. That creates more work. But because I like you, Jesus, I'll do it again. All right? So they get in the boat. They set out. Verse 6, and this time their nets were so full that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, sir, please leave us. I am too much a sinner for you, for you to have around. It's kind of a funny wording of that translation. But, but he recognizes his own poverty of spirit, his own sin. Verse 9, for he was awestruck by the size of the catch, as were the others with him and his partners too, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus replied, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for the souls of men. I love that, souls of men and women. Would you take a moment and think of this story from the perspective of identity? That sense of who is Christ and his unveiling a little bit more and a little bit more of who he was, but then also Simon's and James and John and your sense of who you are. And the impact, think specifically of Simon Peter, in his sense of he was understanding a little bit more of who Jesus was. In fact, he says that like, we see that he was going from his understanding of Jesus, from Jesus as a rabbi and a former carpenter, to someone who had this divine presence about him. 
someone who was the miracle worker. And notice that as he understands more of who Jesus is, what does he do? What's Peter's immediate response? He looks at himself. And he realizes his own lack of faith, his own doubt, his own poverty of experience. He looks at himself and he's able to recognize the true state of his soul and spirit. I was thinking about this, it's a modern psychology term not not found too much in scripture, this idea of self-esteem. Right? We, we talk in our culture, we talk a lot about self-esteem. And I actually believe that scripture profoundly speaks into the sense of self-esteem. And it emphasizes an honest and earnest view of ourselves. An honest view of who we are. The Apostle Paul says this. Remember that next scripture in Romans 12, 3. Don't think you better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. As Christians, we should have this incredible sense of self-worth. Not in a puffed up, not in a blind, not in an arrogant sense at all, not in a prideful sense, but in this sense of what God has spoken is true about us. There's this idea of the imago Dei, the image of God, that you and I have been made in the image of God, that we are not defined by our sports teams. We are not defined defined by the accumulation of wealth. We are not defined by what we do. Ultimately, we are defined because we have been created in the image of the one true living God. In fact, if you read the story of creation, we are the climactic point of creation. We're the crown jewel of that. God says in you and you alone, no one else, no other aspect of creation, I'm creating you you in my own image. That sense of worth, that sense of value, that sense of love, that sense of beauty. He's saying you are esteemed above any other aspect of all of creation. Now, before you get too puffed up in your head, all right, two grandsons, is there's, there's another part of, of self-esteem that involves honesty. And that's this idea that yes, we are made in the image of God, but also we are fallen. We are broken. That we fall so far short of who God has made us. We struggle, we abuse, we hurt we hurt one another. I had the honor of going to a prison ministry last night, my daughter and I, and we got to go. It's called Prayers for Prisoners. 
And, uh, and it was a, a neat evening, but there was really a testimony of two former prisoners, actually three, one came up at the last second and shared. And I was so impressed by all of the testimonies. There was one in particular, he had just been out for seven months. And he shared a story of there was theft in his house. He found out who did it. He confronted and he made a mistake. He made a wrong, bad decision. And he took the life of another individual. He's sharing this in a room full of people. And he served for 38 years in prison. And, and I was struck by a number of things. One is, I was struck that he was just so forthright. All the, all the former prisoners were. They're just forthright about their mistakes. In Christ, we can do that. In Christ, we, we don't have to have these, these uh, face masks. We don't have to pretend that we're better than we are. That there was just a, a, a real and true speaking of their brokenness. And then another thing that struck me is how much each of those who were sharing their testimony relied on scripture and read scripture and believed the truth in scripture. That not only have we been made in the image of God, but that God loves us and in the midst of our brokenness, he says, I will forgive you, I will redeem you, and I will not let you identify yourself based on your crimes, based on your sins. What you, that is not who you are. And, these, and as these former inmates were sharing this, you realize that the whole room was celebrating that they are new creations. That was one of the verses shared. New creations in Christ because of the blood of of Jesus Christ. That was the core of their identity. That was who they were. And there was applause and celebration. I thought, what a gospel. What other place on the face of this earth would you have people sharing the depth of their depravity and brokenness and yet a whole room celebrating the grace of God that they too our adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. That's the core of who they are. Peter could see that sense. He could have this honest assessment. If our esteem is too low, friends, if we struggle with that insecurity, we have to really reflect and remain in that place. How has God, he's created me and he's loved me and he's poured out his love, his abiding love. He is for me and he's wanting me to know who I am in Christ. In Christ. There's a cultural message out there. I, I hear it all the time. And it says, believe in who? Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Was Peter believing in himself? He was not. He was believing in Jesus. That's who he was. He was believing in the work of Christ in his life. There's another verse out there um, 
that uh, I, I think is, is poignant at this point. It's called a, um, it, it's uh, from Colossians 3.3. 3, and I would argue that our sense of identity should not be a sense of being self-centered, but Christ-centered. This challenging scripture that says this, the Apostle Paul, for you died to this life. And when I read this, the, the best way I can understand that is you've died to the broken part of who you are. You've died to that, that, that part that is far from God, that wrestles with addictions, that commits um, all sorts of sin within the heart and soul. And our, outwardly, he says, when you've come to Christianity, when, when you've come to Christ and are a Christian, you've died to that part of who you are. That is not who you are. He goes on, and your real life the truest part of who you are is hidden with Christ in God. He's saying despite our sin, our struggle, our brokenness, that, that we get that sense of identity of who we are. He said, no, that's not the real life. That's not really who you are. Really who you are is when you find your life in Christ, when you discover who you were created to be, when you discover that sense of belief, of the real, the truest part of Eric or Peter or Josh or Calvin. And this is, he's just getting going in this story, right? He's just, this is just a brand new thing. And Peter's going... Here I thought I was going to be a fisherman for the rest of my life. And Jesus says, no, actually, that's not God's plan for you. That might have been your parents' plan for you. That might have been your plan for you. But that's not my plan for you. Let's jump over to a second story, which is found in Luke chapter 9. And it's going to be in chapter 9, starting at verse 28. And this involves uh, Peter, Simon Peter, James and John as well. And this is actually the great unveiling, really, of Jesus' true identity, in a sense. This is before they understood the cross and the death on the cross and the resurrection. And they get a glimpse, the, the fancy theological term for it is the transfiguration. Kind of the earthly veil is removed from Jesus and, and Peter, James, and John gets to see Jesus in his full glory, all right? And so we'll pick this story up in verse 28. Actually, look at the verse beforehand. It says, some of you, Jesus says, who are standing here right now will not die until you have seen the kingdom of God. What they're getting here is a glimpse of the kingdom of God, a glimpse of the king. It says, verse 28, eight days later, he took Peter, James, and John with him into the hills to pray. 
And as he was praying, his face began to shine, and his clothes became dazzling white and blazed with light. The two men appeared and began talking with him, Moses and Elijah, right? So these were Old Testament prophets, and they died and passed away, but now they live in the presence of God in heaven, and they get to see Moses and Elijah right there with Jesus, having a conversation with Jesus. What would have been your response if you would have seen this? Um, Verse 31, they were splendid in appearance, glorious to see, and they were speaking of his death at Jerusalem to be carried out in accordance with God's plan. Peter and the others had been very drowsy and had fallen asleep. Now they woke up and saw Jesus covered with brightness and glory. And the two men standing with them, as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, all confused and not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, this is wonderful. We'll put up three shelters or tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Don't you love this response? (laughs) Peter's like, uh, tense. <laughs> James and John were probably like, Peter, let them, right? Tense, no. Um, uh, oh, I lost my verse here. Okay, tense, verse 14. But even as he was saying this, a bright cloud formed above them. And terror gripped them as it covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Again, we we see in this incredible moment, this unveiling of the identity of Jesus. And at this point, they had suspicions that he was the Messiah. But even that was not enough. This sense that he was a human king was not all that Jesus wanted to reveal to them and to us. That in this moment, Jesus was revealing so much more. He was saying, no, actually, the Father was revealing so much more. That this isn't just a human king like David to conquer Israel's enemies. He is my beloved, only begotten son. He is divine. Now again, replay this story from a perspective of identity and Peter's identity. What would have Peter been thinking of in this moment? I think Peter was getting ready to follow a human king. I think Peter was getting ready to take on the Romans. I think Peter was getting ready to follow this Jesus of Nazareth into battle and war. And the father was saying, not enough. Not enough. 
Not enough that you see him as a human king. Not enough even that you see him as a Lord. Is that he's divine. He is my son. And that has implications for your life, Peter. That has implications for what your life will be and who you are called to be and how you will follow and your connection with Jesus. It's not enough that you follow him as king and even Messiah. But he's my only begotten son. And Peter wouldn't know this at the moment. But in that moment, we come to realize that as we gathered here for worship, we weren't just worshiping the Father in heaven, were we? Who else were we worshiping? Jesus at the right hand of God. And that he and he alone has a claim to challenge and transform your sense of identity and who you are. Right? Who else has that? Maybe parents, you could argue. Parents have a right to say, hey, you know, these I've been praying for you and thinking about who you would call, right? But this isn't the self-centered. That It's the Jesus who says, hey, I created you. So in this idea of when you grow up, right, and become someone, can I speak into that? Because I knit you together. Because I loved you before you were even born. Because I'm the author of your life. I am the designer of your life. And I have plans and purposes for you. You see, there's this reverence, this fear. And friends, I think we, we lack this sense of reverence before not only the Father, but especially for Christ. Living in reverence for Christ Jesus. What was happening to Peter, in some ways, was happening, he was going through what I would call this, this Thomas experience. You know the story of, of doubting Thomas, right? And all the other apostles, Jesus is appearing to them, and they're like, he's alive, he's been resurrected. And Thomas like, ain't gonna believe it. No. Unless I touch my fingers into his wounds, hand on a side, I will. I will not believe it. Now, Jesus appears to Thomas. You know that point. Do you know how, G how Thomas responds? He does not respond, you are the Messiah and the human king. Do you know how he responds? Let's read it. He says this, Jesus appears to him and he says, put your finger here and look at my hands. So Jesus was listening while Thomas was doubting, right? Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Listen to his response. My Lord and my God. Go to that verse up there. My Lord and and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. One more aspect from this story of the transfiguration is isn't it interesting that the Father, the voice comes from heaven and what does he say? He talks about the identity of Jesus 
And then he also says, look back at verse 9. He says this, um, verse 35, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I love that. He's saying, listen to him. Not just to Peter, James, and John, but he's saying to you and I, he's saying, he's the one you are to listen to. He's the voice in your life. When you're, that that sense of who you are, there's a lot of voices out there that would want to tell us who we are, right? That sense of who we are. He's saying, there's really only one voice that you should listen to. And that's my son. Because he's designed you, he's loved you, he's forgiven you. He's the author of your faith and life. I was reading um, president of Fuller Seminary, Mark Laberton, he was speaking in leadership and he was talking about the voices that we listen to. And he was uh, saying that he was, he was a young pastor. They didn't have a lot of money. It was very tight. And someone had donated this junky old car to the church. And that was his car. He was driving. And the lining was coming down, you know, the, the, the ceiling. And it didn't have any shocks. So he'd hit a bump and his head would go into the lining. And there was flecks of the vinyl dashboard coming off. And uh, he said, that car would speak to me, not in an audible voice. But as I drove that, he would hear the word failure. Why couldn't I get my life together? I was getting older every year. Age tends to work that way. (laughs) I had a family. This car was humiliating and I, I felt like this complete value, failure. He was listening to that voice, that sense of who he was. He said if they were finally able to lease a car and they upgraded dramatically, no flex, you know, a vinyl and lining and all of that. He said that, that car spoke to me too. And that car would say, fraud fraud you are no better you just look better and this is what he concluded says my life swings between voices calling failure and fraud the key is not listening to either I'm not as bad as my critics accuse me of being but I'm not as good as I've led some to believe an honest view of himself and right there is the truth somewhere in between is where I hear the voice of God and he says to me, every one of us, I want you, I love you, and I will use you. He walks in that idea, that sense of, it's the voice of God. Can you imagine Peter carrying that experience of the transfiguration of going, who is this? I 
I've got to up my, he's not just a king like David. This is, he was talking with Elijah and Moses. And, and who is this call? What's this sense of call on my life? And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had that Thomas experience where you've said, Jesus, he's not just a Messiah. He's not just a human king. And in fact, it sounds funny for me to say this, but he's not just a savior, someone who died for my sins a long ago, but he is someone who is at the right hand of the Father. And he's wanting to form and shape who you are through a vibrant relationship right now. Yes, Christianity has to do with the past, with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, Christianity has to do with the future that someday we believe he will come back and judge the living and the dead. But Christianity, so much the sense is his presence right here, right now that he wants to form and shape you and I. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter if we're 99 years old, right? He's not done with us yet. He is inviting us into this relationship and he's saying, I want to show you, yes, more and more of who I am. I want to unfold truly who I am. And yet I want to show you truly who you are. That life that's hid in me. That life that I, I, I want to speak into your soul, in your mind. And teach you.